Hello and welcome to episode 306 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are coming to you in different locations. I'm in Seattle, Washington, home of the four-time WNBA champion, Storm. I'm coming to you from Brent, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion, Seattle Seahawks. Well, we are back. It was our first week off. We did have the podcast with Brady that we dropped on Monday. Uh, but the first time that we have not had a regular pod and the rundown and everything that you're used to in toasts since I think 2019 Summer League when I recorded with <laughs> Bill Barnwell. <laughs> Don't we usually have a bye week in the, the summer? We, we've yeah, just the bye week is usually bye week. the bye week is usually Summer League. Last week we last year we did a pod 2020. I don't know if you recall, there was no Summer League, <laughs> so it's been a minute. Uh, we were, if you didn't uh, see on Tristan's Instagram, at Disneyland. <laughs> Last week, that prevented <laughs> I, us from it recording. It turns out flying to Disneyland on a flight that leaves at 6.25 a.m. And then waking up to go to Disneyland at 6 a.m. is fucking exhausting. <laughs> and staying up after all of your 10 to 15 children plus their cousins go to sleep is not an easy thing to do because you have to wake up and go to Disneyland again the next day. Especially the fact that we stayed at Disneyland and didn't get back until 11 p.m. I, I did not realize we were going to be the burning the Disney candle on both ends. Let's do at the end. Let's do Disneyland talk. Okay. People are going to want that. Uh, we're going to start with our beer, which actually relates to the second of three trips that I've made in the last two weeks with Disneyland. Disneyland was the. I was going to say you're racking up those miles, signage. but really you're just flying to like, you're getting like a hundred miles a pop on these flights. Well, Anaheim was a, Santa Ana was a, a pretty good flight. And I, I didn't fly to Portland. I, I took the train down there, but I did fly again to Spokane this weekend for the NCAA Women's Regionals to see Stanford and and Anna Wilson. We, we should toast to that, I suppose, uh, advance to the final four. But uh, well, there is the previous regionals I covered back in 2018 in Spokane, went to the No Lie Brew House yeah. along the shores of the Spokane River, which I didn't know last time because we went at night. Along the shores of the beautiful Spokane River. We went at night. We just sat out inside. I don't know if there really was much of an outdoor section at that point back then. It wasn't as much of a thing. Uh, this time we were outside. It was a gorgeous night in Spokane. It was in the 60s all weekend. It was incredible weather. The river was right there. It was, it was a pretty awesome setup at the No Lie Brew House, I got to say. All so right. we, are, we are drinking the third of three beers I tried on Saturday, the big, big juicy IPA. There we go. So you got this here in Seattle. You didn't bring that back. No, no I didn't. Okay. I didn't. I didn't pack a, you know, I, I didn't check say, a bag. FAA regulations that would not allow that. <laughs> You're not allowed to do that on the Alaska a la carte service. Okay. So, so we have a very special toast to get to this week. We do. And, you know, it's been a long time and felt like it was appropriate to bring something back that we haven't done in a long time. A right? tradition even. And that is the triumphant return. We've talked about it. We've planned, we've schemed. We've done online versions of this. However, we've saved dates for this. <laughs> For the first time since 2019, Pelton Cast Live in person returns. 
this April. You can thank the Seahawks for this because had they not traded for Russell Wilson, we probably wouldn't be doing Pelton Cast Live. So thanks to, C- to the Seahawks and the number nine pick in the draft. We have to be there on April 22nd at Good Times Bad Bar in the heart of Lower Queen Anne from the fine people who initially brought you Belltown Yacht Club, where we were at for our last Pelton Cast Live in 2019. A beautiful new spot. The Kraken fans already know about it. They've been there. They've imbibed <laughs> there. They've drank their Rainier Tallboys there. We cannot wait for the tri- triumphant return of Pelton Cast Live. It's going to be so great to see the listener again and look out in the crowd and see you, the listener. Oh, it's so excited. So uh, ex- ex- except for the listener who doesn't live in Seattle, which is many of the listener. You know what to expect from Pelton Cast Live. And this year we have a stacked lineup to help us break down the NFL draft. He was the star of the virtual Pelton Cast Live from the athletic Mike Sean Dugar. This is going to be his first Pelton Cast Live in person. Can't wait for the Mike to bring the house down. I will tell you, I feel like he does not know what to expect. <laughs> If you haven't been to Peltoncast Live before, you'll quickly learn that A, you should come thirsty for Rainier Tallboys. B, you should come hungry because there's always food surprises. Probably. Two companies that maybe you've heard about on this podcast before. We've we've not talked to those companies yet. I'm feeling pretty confident. (laughs) (laughs) Feeling pretty confident. Uh, will we'll be in attendance. You know that there's going to be surprises. People don't even know if you haven't been there before. Bingo, as designed by the famous cousin Katie, who may or may not be in the house, depending on COVID numbers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there will be prizes, surprises, surprise guests, mini in store that we're talking to right now. DJ Infrared there to heckle throughout the night. Talking taco time. With all four of the Talking Taco Time co-hosts. Randy was still a correspondent. He was not a co-host when we last did Pelton Cast Live. That's how long ago it was. Chris and Randy all on stage. I don't know if we can handle that many Talking Taco Time co-hosts. We're going to have Randy bring the trophy that he got as Taco Time's number one fan or whatever it said. We're going to have another special guest who hopefully will bring in be bringing maybe he was featured in seattle times today we'll be bringing another trophy with him if everything goes well this weekend and, and if he if that person is actually fully uh committed to coming which is why they're not part of the announcement just yet but it's going to be a great time uh, you also you didn't put this you just sent me the ticket link to to post with this on the website and to tweet out of course uh we are also crowning seattle's best fried chicken at pelton cast live correct wow. Many of us forgot that that was even a thing. It's been so long since we last uh, last had an update in our search for Seattle's best fried chicken, which will allow us to start some other search if we plan to do that in the future. Finally, we'll be cleansed. Yeah. <laughs> so April 22nd, it's a Friday night. Doors at 7 o'clock. The Friday Show night before the NFL draft. In the heart of Lower Queen Anne, Good Times Bad Bar. Tickets are $10. If you can't afford a $10 ticket, ticket hit us up. Let us know. We will get you in. Do not worry. The guest list is large. Uh, tickets are $10 for this event. They are on sale now. Kevin will put this link in the show notes. He will be tweeting it. It will be everywhere. Get your tickets fast. Capacity is limited for the event. This is 
it's going to be a night you will not forget. And we should also mention that the net proceeds from this will go, as always, to the Family First Center that we toasted to on our last podcast, construction being underway in Renton's Cascade neighborhood. I've been meaning to drive by there. Go visit your old house, see the Family First Center construction. Good times. Good times in Cascade. I, I can't Go to the brew house. And, it, and it's coming up soon also. Yes. Uh, we're probably announcing this too late because we did not announce this last week since we did not do a podcast. There are 23 days until Pelton Cast Live returns for the first time since 2019. It's going to be an incredible night. We can't wait to see you all there. Yeah, you're good. You're going to want to be there. You're not going to want to miss it. I ate too much salami before this. <laughs> this Italian thing that I did. <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to talk I, about I, it. I burned that car, so you know. We're going to talk about Italy in a minute here. Oh, God. But first up, continuing our toast to third Belton brother, Jamal Crawford, who made his retirement from basketball official with a tweet a week ago Monday, quoting Jay-Z from the Black Album, goodbye to the game, all the spoils, the adrenaline rush. Odds this retirement will stick better than Jay-Z's on the Black Album. You can tell how long Jamal Crawford's been in the league for is that he quoted Jay-Z from the Black Album in his, in his retirement. Oh, no. I've got plans at some point here to quote uh, Jay-Z from the Blueprint. So I, I don't know what that says about me. Uh, given that uh, Crawford turned 42 on the previous, the day before that, I don't know. The, the dates are all off here because these notes were written from last week. <laughs> Uh, the Seattle native and Rainier Beach product played 20 NBA seasons and won the league's six man award three times, as well as the Twyman Stokes teammate of the year award in 2018 concludes his career second in all time scoring among players born in the state of Washington. You don't want to ask who's first. I wasn't paying any attention. Oh, wait, what say that stat again? Second all-time in career scoring among players born in the state of Washington. Oh, is it John Stockton? It is John Stockton. It's number one. <clears throat> so one of those people was invited to Pelton Gas Live. <laughs> one of those people I have I have confirmed in person when I last saw him is vaccinated. There we go. So <laughs> you checked his vax card. <laughs> I, I didn't. You mentioned hey, it. Jamal. <laughs> We're gonna be hanging out. <laughs> Actually, they were checking Vax cards without a bed. That was the uh, Lenny Wilkins way uh, announcement or you know, street naming. So obviously, Jamal, an amazing career, an icon of Seattle basketball. No one more recognizably Seattle. No one has had more impact on the young players coming up, including you know DeJounte Murray and, and all the other great stars produced out of Seattle since Jamal. So, And obviously, I, he'll continue to play, I assume, in the crossover. I don't I, think, I this, think this, mostly, this is retirement from that. It's almost like <clears throat> Jamal Crawford had like, like the most indie Seattle basketball career you could have. Like he did it in the coolest way possible. He never played basketball in the city of Seattle professionally or even in college. But the only way that he plays basketball in the city of Seattle is every single year in his own tournament. Yes. It's like you have to know to see Jamal Crawford play basketball in the city of Seattle. It's pretty incredible. So, and is a friend, uh, a friend sent me that uh, actually Jamal Crawford's career highlight was not being phased when I told him that I hosted a Taco Time podcast and immediately being ready to answer with his Taco Time order. What was his Taco Time order? I forget exactly what did it we was. Do this on, did we get that recorded? Of course. 
Okay. It's the one where I panicked and forgot what my Tango Time order is and said it wrong. <laughs> Good times. Good times. Like uh, natural soft taco. <laughs> what is you panic? I think I said burrito because, you know, the soft taco is, is a burrito. Oh, uh, you said chicken soft burrito. Congrats also to uh, Nuhu, who helped Cameroon qualify for the World Cup. They got a goal in the 124th minute on Tuesday against Algeria to advance, returning to the World Cup final after not qualifying in 2018. And I suppose this is where we talk about an event that uh, a game that blew up Peltoncast Twitter last Wednesday, Thursday, while we were at Disneyland. I was just sitting there in a Disney California adventure, blissfully unaware that Italy was playing North Macedonia no for us for is the start of the uh, the semifinals of the play in in UEFA. We're just trying to get to losing. fucking Radiator Springs. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it was so hot. It was, you know, it really wasn't the time that we could focus on Italy losing, but it's uh, going to be another World Cup without the Italians. It's the fucking ridiculous. Reigning, reigning European champions. If you win the European championship, it should be an automatic bid to the World Cup. It's absurd that it isn't, that you have to go through qualifying. Like, that's it. That's that's the rule. If you If you are the best team in all of Europe as played through a tournament, who cares about all this other shit? We shouldn't have had to play North Macedonia to begin with, right? They were here because of a draw with Northern Ireland, I believe, before then. It's just like Correct. the way that this is set up is this is not the type of soccer that Italy plays, right? But like, history, that's the funny thing is historically, Italy was very good at qualifying for everything until 2018. Whatever. Who even fucking cares? It's such a sham World Cup. Like this is this is going to be this World Cup in Qatar. The worst World Cup of our entire lives. It's, it's one that the attention that's paid to it is going to be smaller than any World Cup previous. It shouldn't even be there. Like, this is, this is a World Cup we should be happy to sit out. This one in particular. And you know what? As far as I'm concerned, the World Cup doesn't fucking matter at this point. Right? If they don't want the best teams competing in the World Cup, that's fine. That's good for them. We'll just go ahead and be the best team in all of Europe and don't need to participate in the World Cup. That definitely sounds like some sour grapes. I mean, whatever. Like, who? fine. It, honestly, if the World Cup doesn't want the best teams in the world in it, that's cool for them. I think the World like, Cup is going to do just fine. Is it? I mean, I mean, they probably won't this year at time because it's being played in December. and In December in Qatar, clearly because of bribery. Like, I, I don't know. Like, how is this? How did this World Cup even happen to begin with? You, as you said, bribery. Yes, I just, it was that. Whatever. I'm not even concerned about it. Italy uh, will continue to be the best soccer club in all of Europe. We're fine. I, I don't know that that is accurate. I, I disagree with that assessment of the situation. Through this World Cup, they will be. I mean, they'll be the they champions. Be that the doesn't make them the best European. team. That's what not really how make it works. Beating, if winning the European Championship is what makes you the best team, what the fuck do you think makes you the best team? Nate being Silver? the best team. Yeah. Yeah, by being by winning the championship. That's you know, how you be the you best team. Okay, Done. so check. It's over. So St. Peter's was a better team than Kentucky is your assessment? Is that your assessment? St. Peter's didn't win the championship. No, but they beat Kentucky. Are they a better team than Kentucky? They didn't win the championship. Okay. Whomever wins the NCAA tournament will be the best team. 
They would be the reigning best team for the next year. That is a preposterous way what, to describe should, it. Should Kentucky hang a banner because they got a two seed? Well, I shouldn't hang a banner for that. No. But when we're not is talking Gonzaga, about banners, when you were in Spokane, were there people there proposing that they should do the Ken Palm championship every year? Oh, I'm sure people would. I mean, four-time DVOA <laughs> champion, Seattle Seahawks. Gonzaga still have the Ken Palm chip. They do. Hey, hang the Ken Palm banner for Gonzaga. I would love to see it. <laughs> You did repeatedly, like multiple times throughout the weekend, ask me if Spokane was in mourning about Gonzaga losing on Thursday the you day know, before I got there. because you told me it would be. I was like, I picked you up to go to the airport from, uh, we're getting too close to the Disneyland talk, but oh, I no. picked you up from, the, from Disneyland to go to the airport. And I was like, oh, Gonzaga lost. Because again, like when you're at Disneyland, just nothing else in the world can exist. Sports I mean, I, do not I, exist. Anymore. I did stream that game. I, that could exist for me. I didn't. I thought it was fucking Wednesday. Like, there. I was just like, wow. I'm excited to watch the NCAA tournament tomorrow when it starts. It. It just like time and space have changed. You're just in the haunted mansion. But I picked you up and I was like, Gonzaga lost. And you're like, I don't fucking care. <laughs> and you're like, it'll be a day of mourning tomorrow in Spokane. So I was following up on that comment. It turned out that the nice weather way outweighed Gonzaga losing. Like I walked through the campus on Sunday. People were like having picnics. There's some sort of like lake there or like pond or something. Uh, people were happily playing, you know, intramural soccer there. No one seemed in the least concerned about it I by that point. You, Gonzaga's lost in the NCAA tournament a lot of times. Well, they do have some practice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Italy's failed to qualify at the Real World Cup a couple times in a row, so we're getting some practice at that one, unfortunately. Uh, What made it so devastating in 2018 in particular was the fact that both Italy and the U.S. failed to advance to the World Cup, so I had zero teams in it. I'm much more of a USMNT fan than you are. Oh, I'm on board on the USMNT now. (laughs) Fingers crossed. Knocking thoroughly on wood. It looks like they're probably going to make it. So it would be nice to at least have one team in the mix. If U.S. doesn't make it one more time, we're getting fucking... Maybe you should apply your bribery in better places. <laughs> I mean, they applied some of that. The U.S. is already qualified for 2026. So that's that one's done. They just that's the good news. They don't want important soccer countries in the World Cup. That's oh, important soccer countries like the U.S.? Uh, so they have to I mean, lose the by fact that they were going to be competing with Portugal, Port, both Portugal and Italy should be in the world cup. Well, maybe you, Italy should have taken care of business. Whatever. Who cares? They did when they won the fucking Euro. I mean, yes, I would slow I... clap for England for making the world cup. It'll be really fun for you to lose another one. Like we've got four of those. U.S. has to lose five, nothing or worse or better basically oh, to qualify good. so <laughs> we'll see uh i believe costa rica oh that's a, yeah it's a it's a losable by five five no. i don't know if it's losable by four, five goals that would be a really historic outcome if they if they managed not to advance no i'll, I'll cheer for the u.s team they've not lost by six goals or more since 1979 <laughs> so well hopefully we can test to that soon all right now an update on our tournament pool brackets which we have not checked in on since the start of the tournament uh the famous cousin katie 
leads our men's wow. tournament challenge pool, one of three competitors to get three of the four final four teams right. If Kansas wins or North Carolina beats Kansas, Katie is the winner. If Villanova wins or UNC beats Villanova, ESPN fan 911611431212. That's loyal listener ESPN fan 911611431212 to you. Thank you. Get the win. If Duke wins, Devin Larson, who named his entry Fairwood has mod pizza. So do we have another True. Fairwood listener? I just, it's facts that Fairwood has mod pizza now. So. It is it is accurate. Yes. Very exciting development. Uh on the women's side, our group ranks number 56 overall. We're just off the front page of the leaderboard. Randy leads the way as one of two to pick all four final four teams. Randy will win if South Carolina or Louisville wins the title on Sunday. If Stanford wins, Adam McGinnis will win. And if UConn wins, Peace Race will be the winner. All right. Wow. A lot of different outcomes. I feel yeah. like I've done quite well there, but none of those outcomes include me. Yeah, both of us are in the top five in the, the women's tournament pool, but both of us are behind someone who has the same outcome. I have South Carolina over Stanford. You have Stanford over South Carolina. What? So we can only finish second. How many groups would you estimate there are in the ESPN NCAA women's tournament? I don't have a good sense for that. I mean, it's obviously a lot less than on the men's we side. We have to but... find somebody who works at ESPN to figure it out for us. <laughs> God, we need to connect there. Where would you ever find such a thing? <laughs> I there have to be thousands plus though, right? You would think, yeah. Being number fifty-six, I we're, feel we're like doing every, quite awesome. Every single person who's in that, except there's one person who didn't fill out their bracket. Do I don't know if they count us against down? us. I'm okay. not sure. You should get in, get in with ESPN and do some. If they're weighing us down and we'd be in like the top twenty, otherwise. I mean, it seems unlikely that we're the only team that would have someone who didn't fill out a bracket. I think they must have a way to adjust for that. I'm pretty impressed with everybody in the uh, <clears throat> uh, women's tournament challenge pool, though, to be in the top 56 overall. I think everybody deserves a W for that. Hey, yeah, let's let's do it. Randy is in the 99.7th percentile right now, ranking 4,986 overall. <laughs> My favorite thing about filling out the uh, NCAA tournament bracket is like you fill it out and you feel like you're like, I think I nailed it. <laughs> you just like imagine at the end of the tournament and they're like, Tristan from Red Washington got every game right. He was the only one to pick this. He's just like the only person who had Michigan winning in the first round or whatever. <laughs> I mean, people are always like, oh, you've got to be strategic about your picks, which is holding us back now. The fact that we both have like very common finals in the women's pool, but like, that's not the fun of it is trying to win strategically. I'm trying to pick all 63 <laughs> games correctly. That's the goal. Imagining the like fucking newspaper article where it's like, <laughs> you did it. <laughs> First person to ever pick the NCAA tournament correctly. It's you. <laughs> you did it is a terrible headline. Whatever copy editor came up with that should be fired. <laughs> That's like when you picked the fans as person of the year. You did. Oh my god. <laughs> well, we've returned from you yelling at me about the microphone. <laughs> Guess I did do it. <laughs> oh no. Newspaper headline. You did it. Broke your microphone and got ESPN's <laughs> Kevin Pelton to yell at you. <laughs> Okay, with that, should we talk about the Seahawks? 
So obviously we went over the state of the roster last Monday with Brady Henderson, my ESPN colleague. Uh, I, I mean, that, that pod largely holds up, but certainly some events since then and some quotes today because we had the NFL owners meetings in Palm beach and uh, at the, his availability this morning, Pete Carroll again reiterated the Seahawks want to resign Geno Smith and give him an opportunity to compete for the starting job with Drew Locke and Jacob Eason, and also said, we are totally in the mentality that the fourth guy may be important to us for the long haul. So we are definitely still in the quarterback business. So the door is not closed here. He did describe them as the fourth guy, though. Yes. I mean, he also had comments about there are some veterans out there, so we're going to investigate that. I mean, those players at this point, you know, the market has evolved since we last talked. Matt Ryan went to Indianapolis. Marcus Mariota signed with the Falcons to replace him. Uh, Deshaun Watson went to Cleveland. So that means the guys that are out there basically are Baker Mayfield and Jimmy Garoppolo as potential trade candidates. Jimmy Garoppolo is kind of an interesting one. Not not for the CX. Like I, I would be shocked if they trade for Jimmy G, but just as a player like where he's going to end up and i do think there's a couple of players i don't think baker falls into this category i think baker's gonna be traded before then i think jimmy g is one of those players who somebody will get to the draft talk themselves into one of the quarterbacks not get one of the quarterbacks and go out and trade for jimmy g like i think the niners are looking for a real asset back for jimmy g they don't need to trade him right no i mean that's what uh john lynch said today basically baker needs to be traded you know, and I, it's just that relationship is over. And to me, I, I think if you had told me at the beginning of this offseason that the Seahawks could trade Russell Wilson, end up with two firsts, two seconds, and Baker Mayfield for a I late mean, round, a fourth round pick or, or lower. I mean, there was a report last week. I, I think this was, uh, I'm trying, Ben Standig, I think had this, that there was a possibility that that Baker Mayfield might be quote Osweilered that was and like, that they would have to include a draft pick to get off his salary for this season. I feel like there's always more chatter about that than it actually happens. Right. I, like, it seems likely. Yes. I Baker Mayfield will not be traded for less than a fourth round pick. And, and I would assume higher. I, I think his value sits in the third, fourth round range right now. Possibly. I mean, so he's got 18.9 million base salary that's guaranteed for this season. And I think the, the complicating factor for the Seahawks in particular is if you were going to trade for either of these two quarterbacks, you know, Baker seemingly much more likely, you would have to figure out some way to change their cap hit because of the fact that otherwise, you know, you don't have the cap space to bring them in. I mean, I suppose you could do that by renegotiating some other players, but realistically, you'd probably want to assign them to a deal that converts a lot of that base salary into a bonus and then probably add some years on top of it, which, you know, obviates the idea of this just being like kind of a one-year look and see, unless unless you were to force the Browns basically to do that same strategy to convert some of that base salary to a bonus and therefore retain some of his salary on their cap. Yeah, it's a complicated situation with Baker, but it's better than the situation they've gotten themselves into previously with other players, where basically the one thing that you don't want to do as a franchise is give up assets to then reward yourself by having to pay somebody a massive contract. That is the worst thing you can do as an NFL team. 
Because you're paying twice, basically, for the same player. It's like most players are not worth more than the contract you're about to give them, right? Like your excess, excess value on a star player is very low unless basically for anybody, right? Once you reach that level and, and you're a star player in your second or third contract, your excess value is not that high. It's almost never equal to a first round pick, a second round pick. If you're Jamal Adams, two first round picks or whatever, right? Like the Seahawks paid a premium. They, they gave up value for the privilege to go pay Jamal Adams. And I they think did, that's they did of- get the one cheap year of Jamal Adams before they extended him. Which whatever, right? Like it's still you you paid you paid to put yourself in a bit of a conundrum, right? Because having a star player, having a star player who's about to come up on their contract is a problem more than it is a benefit. Now the endowment effect would suggest that basically you're applying this only to players that the Seahawks are trading for, but that you should also apply it in the apply it in the reverse way, which maybe leads us to a a different segment of this conversation. The logic being the Seahawks should have traded Russell Wilson as soon as his rookie contract was up because they were going to have to pay him fair market value and they could have gotten multiple first round picks from someone else for him. They would be on the opposite side of the Jamal Adams trade in this. Quarterbacks are a little bit different though, because quarterbacks are not a very, very good safety. Is that where we flip this to a, no, but, but I, want, I still want to say about Baker really quick is that yeah. I, I, I don't think that they have to, you're not going to have to go out and extend Baker for a long period of time. You do sort of put yourself into a bit of a complicated situation though, which is Baker currently sits in this tier of he's not a backup quarterback. We don't know really what Baker is. If he comes in and plays pretty well, all of a sudden do you extend him for 25 million a year? Something like that. At the very least, I mean, you if he plays well, I think better than that. It, or, it, yeah, I guess there's degrees to it. Is it is it Baker Mayfield? If he plays well enough, is he going to be a 40 million year quarterback? I just don't think anybody really has a grasp on what Baker Mayfield is at this point. And at the same time, whatever they'd have to give up for him is worth it to figure out what Baker Mayfield is, to be the team that does that. And I think we can confidently say that Baker Mayfield is a better quarterback than anybody else who is currently on the Seahawks or is Geno Smith. Or is perhaps someone that they could draft in this year's draft. I mean, the, now the upside of drafting someone is if you do hit on that, that player, you get the four cheap years at a minimum of their rookie contract, fifth year option if they're a first round pick. Whereas with Baker, as you said, you know, kind of the, the best case scenario is you have to pay him, but he does provide, he would provide more variance, I think, than some of the quarterback veteran quarterback options on the market. And, and the other best case scenario with Baker is that you have a competent team this year, like that you're actually right. a playoff contending team because right now the difference between the Seahawks contending for the playoffs and not is a quarterback. And if that quarterback is Baker Mayfield, I think they're in the mix for the playoffs. I mean, I still don't think they're as good as last season's team was, you know, absent Russell Wilson's injury. Like, they're still less talented. Oh, sure. Of course. But, like, it's it's for if the price is low enough, Baker Mayfield is obviously worth it for the privilege of having that year to figure out what Baker is. Yeah, I mean, to me, it would have to be a day three pick. It It couldn't be anything in the top three rounds. 
I would trade a third round pick for Baker at this point. If it's at that point, I would rather just try to draft someone. Well, so that's that's the other end of the spectrum is, you know, we sort of saw like, I guess the excess value chart that Ben posted, whereas like the first two rounds, I think maybe three rounds of quarterbacks, there's there's very high excess value for quarterbacks beyond the contracts that they're getting if you're drafting a quarterback high. Yeah. Once you get to a quarterback fourth round and on, they're basically worthless at that point, right? Like those players are almost never going to be starting for you are almost never going to be hitting their second contract. You're going to get very little value beyond them. The other thing that I saw today, which I hadn't really thought about before was... And the- we'll just stop you quickly. That was uh, a piece by Timo Riskier of... Uh, Pro Football Focus, yeah, who had looked at the uh, excess value there, and I think it does make an important point. Like we had talked in the Brady Henderson pod, I had met, you know we the Packers comparison and how they always were drafting quarterbacks even when they had Brett Favre came up, and I was like, well, yeah, but they were drafting these guys in the fifth and sixth round. And I think the reason that strategy was viable for the Packers is because teams didn't understand back then how how valuable quarterbacks were. If you're that level of quarterback prospect that a Matt Hasselback or a Mark Brunel was, you don't make it to the fifth or sixth round anymore. Definitely not. Yeah. No, the world has changed for sure. <clears throat> uh, okay. Yeah. But so far, we don't have, you know, we haven't heard any real rumblings that the Seahawks are looking at a quarterback with that first pick. And we had Brady, matter of fact, telling us that they weren't going to draft somebody. Now, believe the Seahawks very little like I I don't think you can take the Seahawks at their word and even from what Brady is hearing internally with the Seahawks I think we just don't fucking know what they're gonna do so if they do draft a quarterback my hope would be that they are going to draft somebody in the around the ninth pick at the ninth pick or or close to there and instead of waiting to the end of the first round um unless it's somebody where they really felt like they just fell in love with this player. Maybe it was Ritter and they are like, we can get him in the 25th pick. But I was thinking about the fifth, fifth year option. And I saw somebody tweeting about this earlier today from Seahawks Twitter, who was basically like the fifth year option when it comes to quarterbacks is more or less a fallacy. Once you reach that point, you're going to have to pay that quarterback no matter what. Well, Baker Mayfield got the fifth year option. But, but the reality is like if your quarterback, that's who it's reserved for. That fifth-year option is reserved for quarterbacks that you just don't know. If it's Patrick Mahomes, you're going to be paying him. If it's Russell Wilson or whatever, who if they were a first-round pick, you would be paying them. If it's Baker Mayfield and you're not sure, sure, maybe you'll get that fifth-year option and it'll give you a helpful extra year. But it's sort of like you know they're bad or you know they're good, and those quarterbacks who are in between aren't that valuable of players for the most part, right? Like what they're looking for is they're looking for the franchise quarterback. They're not looking for somebody that you can sneak in one extra year on them. The goal would be to find somebody who's going to be the superstar quarterback, the quarterback of the future. And then at that point, you don't really care about that fifth year option. You care about having your team controlling that quarterback. I mean, the fifth year option still gives you a degree of leverage in those contract negotiations. So I think it matters because you have that alternative path. But yes, it's, it's, it's not probably a more important. valuable thing, the fifth year option for another position, because there's re- like there's a world where they could play it out. They could be a very, very good player and play out that fifth year option. But I still think the threat of playing out that fifth year option and then being able to franchise them 
creates a, a leverage point in negotiations. Well, but we're also going in this world where like, if your quarterback is good enough, there's no leverage point, right? We're going into guaranteed contracts for quarterbacks and we're going in, if the quarterbacks are good enough, they're going to be making 40 million minimum. Sure. But part of the reason that quarterbacks want those guaranteed contracts is because there is a degree of risk that you don't want to be playing out those years on one year deals like Kirk Cousins with Washington. I mean, that, that worked out for Kirk Cousins. He got a very nice guaranteed, fully guaranteed contract from Minnesota. But, you know, that, that is a high degree of risk to take, especially if you haven't made a ton of money yet in your career. So I do think it affects the extension. Uh, but I, I just don't have a lot of faith that they're going to go out and draft a quarterback with that ninth pick in the draft. And, and I don't know that they should draft a quarterback with the ninth pick in the draft, especially if they don't need to. Like, if they are going to draft a quarterback, it seems like it probably makes more sense for them to trade down. I mean, in any scenario, it probably makes more sense for them to trade down. Right now, for the Seahawks quarterback, I guess one thought on Colin Kaepernick, which I'm just, <clears throat> I mean, I ended our <laughs> Russell Wilson trade podcast with the fuck Sean Sider, fuck Pete Carroll. But can I get one more fuck Pete Carroll in there for talking about Colin Kaepernick? Because it, it's like, it's a borderline offensive thing that he's doing, invoking Colin Kaepernick's name, saying Colin Kaepernick deserves an opportunity, but then not being the one to, you have the worst quarterback room in the NFL. You can't be like, well, he deserves an opportunity, not with us. By, by making that statement, by invoking Colin Kaepernick's name, Pete Carroll is in some capacity trying to frame himself as like, look, I'm with it, right? I, I get it. I'm for Colin Kaepernick. Not me, though. Not me, right? He's trying to get all the good stuff that would be attached to saying that you think Colin Kaepernick deserves a job without any of the negatives of actually giving Colin Kaepernick the opportunity. He wants all the good with none of none of the risk at all. I mean, I think he, you know, I thought Mike Sean Dugar put it well on the Man of Ad podcast last week that he, he needs to yet. just stop saying that because, as you said, he's the one with the power to do this and he hasn't done it. But he said that he thought it was well-intentioned, which I agree with. It's, and the, the thing is, I, but, because the, about vast majority of, the vast majority of NFL coaches do not think it is getting a good thing to align themselves with Colin Kaepernick. The vast majority of NFL coaches think it is a bad thing. To align I don't, I don't know if I really buy that anymore. Okay, which other coach is talking about? He deserves an opportunity. I mean, now, it doesn't matter. There's going to be... I will, I will empathize with the Give Seahawks him the team. opportunity. That's it. It is a I, do or do not. I agree. Stop talking about it. You don't talk about it, be about it. But I will empathize with the Seahawks to a certain degree, which is which team has been call, criticized the most about the Colin Kaepernick situation? The Seattle Seahawks is the answer. I suppose so. Because they, they were the be. only ones willing to even entertain the idea of signing Colin Kaepernick when he was first out of the league. To, to like... At least 25 teams, again, even being associated with Colin Kaepernick was toxic to them. And now, obviously, that's partially a product of the political affiliation of the fans in Seattle being different than it is in a lot of NFL markets. But I do think you get criticized more for being a little wrong then you get criticized for being a lot wrong because it never even fucking comes up. It fucking so, stands out so, as Seattle politics, though, what he's doing. I, it's saying, it's saying this thing. You're like, oh, I have every intention of feeling this way. But all of a sudden, 
you're voting in a different way. But if that's, Kittle, that's when it really comes down to it, when you when you're paying the ticket, right? When when you actually have to fucking put up, all of a sudden it's a little bit different than what you're talking about, right? The, the voting is the most the Seattle politics differs, thing ever. The voting differs from election to election. I don't think it's as consistent as you think it is. Uh, when if the Seahawks bring Colin Kaepernick in for a workout, and he isn't an NFL caliber quarterback at this point because they he's five years older. Not even was. looking at him. Okay, how old is Andy Dalton? Andy Dalton is. I never I mean, played I'm not in the Super Bowl. The Seahawks didn't sign Andy Dalton. Number one, he went out and got himself a six million dollar contract. I don't think it is reasonable to think at this point that Colin Kaepernick is an NFL caliber quarterback. And I know people are citing Josh Johnson is like he went a long period of time between throwing passes in a regular season NFL game and continued getting signed. But Josh Johnson was in NFL training camps. He was in NFL preseason games. He was getting reps against NFL defenses. When was the last time that Colin Kaepernick played in an organized football game? I mean, you're talking and about obviously that's signing for a non-guaranteed contract at the minimum when your other option is Jacob Eason. Jacob Eason was a shitty quarterback in the Pac-12. Well, you're not signing a 32-year-old quarterback because of the fact that you're considered developing for, for his future like you are with Jacob Eason. So that's not a fair comparison. I will tell you that both of them have ruined days for me before. Colin Kaepernick because he was good. Jacob Eason because he was bad. <laughs> I was there at fucking... 12 a.m. when we were playing Cal and Jacob Eason couldn't beat them. I mean, I looked this up when Kaepernick last played and who is like the closest comparisons in terms of his performance and age. One of them was has still been in the league for a long period of time as a backup. I forget who it is. The other was Sam Bradford, who has been out for a long time himself. It's kind of strange that Sam Bradford hasn't found like a journeyman NFL career. So, right. Who's the dude who every year you're just like, yeah, he's a he's on a Fox broadcast but is somehow still on teams. He just signed a contract this year. God, who is that? Well, it's not Josh McCown. I know anymore. So I'm not sure who you're thinking of specifically. Oh. And it's clearly I, not Josh Johnson. So it's none of the Joshes. No. I want to say that he signed with the Cardinals or something. And I was like, yeah, he's been working at Fox for like a decade. <laughs> you're not giving me a lot to go by here. I got to be honest with you. Uh, Colt McCoy. Colt the, the, McC- I think it I is mean, Colt McCoy. He started a game against the Seahawks last year, so you should probably remember that he's in the NFL at that point. He did beat the Seahawks in a game. Oh, God. Basically ended the season. Good times. Yeah, he's been at Fox for like three, four years. But we can all agree, just just stop talking about Colin Kaepernick, Pete Carroll, yes. if you're not going to give him a chance. But I do think they would get criticized more for bringing him in and not signing him or even bringing him in and cutting him than they would for doing nothing. The safest move is always 32. He's younger than Russell Wilson. Colin Kaepernick was not as good at age 27 as Russell Wilson. (laughs) Again, I don't think that's a fair comparison. I'm sorry, he's actually older than that. He's 34. I I was underwritten his age. The same age as Andy Dalton. I mean, when Colin Kaepernick was first out of the league, obviously it was just because of the fact that NFL teams were blackballing him without question. Now, I don't think that is necessarily the reason he's out of the league. Okay, anyway. So should we talk about wide receiver? Yeah. 
here's what John Schneider had to say about some recent wide receiver deals. Obviously, the Christian Kirk one in free agency, Devontae Adams getting a new contract extension, Tyreek Hill getting traded like Devontae Adams getting a contract extension. Uh, I was talking to my buddies about it, and I'm fascinated. Does he mean other GMs or does he mean like just friends? <laughs> His buds. The other night, and we were like, holy shit, man. It is what it is now, right? This is the market. We'll get to that when we get to it. There is a bit of, whoa, then you have to figure out, okay, where's the cap going? What is it going to look like? How do you build your team? We do that every day. That's it. Him, him and his buds chatting football. That's the process it. that led them to Jamal Adams is the, where's the cap going? What's it going to look like? How do you build your team? Uh, DK is going to get an enormous extension. It's going to ask for an extension and have the leverage to get it. So I think the Seahawks will probably pay it later in the off season when they tend to get to contract extensions. Uh, I'm not certain about that though. I just, I'm having a really hard time understanding why, right? Like uh, why, what I, I th- why they're willing to pay this extension, not because of DK's ability as a player, but because of the direction that this coach and this GM want to go as a franchise. Right. And, and I have a really hard time. I think there's a severe disconnect between how they see winning football and paying DK Metcalf, right? Like the, the reality is they don't think that DK Metcalf is part of winning football. As far as I can tell. I and, do not agree with that. No. I mean, it's not like they're planning to run the ball 60 times a game. They're not planning I, sure. to go to the option off offense here. But if you're not going to pair DK Metcalf with a competent NFL quarterback, so, if they are honestly going to go into next season with Drew Locke as their quarterback, what what is why is DK Metcalf a luxury that you're willing to pay for, but you're willing to go into next season with who would probably be the worst starting quarterback in the NFL? I think how there's do you, how an, do you match those two things with each other? I think there's an argument to be made that DK Metcalf could potentially be more valuable with a weaker quarterback because it doesn't necessarily take a lot of skill to throw the ball to DK Metcalf. The DK Metcalf offense is just like, he's, he's bigger and stronger than the guy on the other side of him. So just throw the ball in his direction and he's going to come down with it. That's not what Russell Wilson specializes in it. Russell Wilson specializes in moving around and making plays, uh, pinpoint deep balls. These are things that fit better with Tyler Lockett. I think it's Tyler Lockett who becomes substantially less valuable in Russell Wilson's absence. I think plausibly DK Metcalf, even though his stats from that Geno Smith period do not support it as much as I thought they did, uh, potentially becomes more valuable uh, with a quarterback who's just willing to throw him the ball, whether he's covered or not. I, that's not going to be an offense that Pete Carroll is going to be fine with. Like what you're talking about is something that's going to lead to turnovers. It's going to lead to, if not Drew Lock is not throwing DK it up to DK Metcalf, Metcalf. Is, is DK Metcalf. This is not anything about DK. This is saying that if you don't have a quarterback who can get him the ball, what is the point of having DK Metcalf? If Drew Lock is throwing Again, the my ball, my argument is that anyone can get DK Metcalf the ball. If Drew Lock is throwing the ball up to DK Metcalf and those balls are being intercepted because he can't get the ball to DK or whatever, they're 50 50 balls, sometimes those are going to go the other way. Pete Carroll will come in and fix that offense. It is not something he's going to live with, right? Like when you talk about wanting a point guard as your quarterback, that does not look like deep balls to DK Metcalf. I don't understand how- I'm not teams- talking about DK deep balls to DK Metcalf. I'm talking about, you know, 
fade routes to him. Not not the strength of Russell Wilson. You're sort of taking away some of the value of DK at that point also. I don't know that DK's value is, I mean, obviously he runs a terrific, you know, go route. I'm not saying that's not his value. But again, his physical tools are more about contested catches. Are they? I think we've seen that play out though. We don't don't know. The reality is DK Metcalf is a star because he played with Russell Wilson. Like this, in fact, here, here's, there's so many different ways I could go with this take, but they need to trade DK this off season. Like in this moment, they are on the other end of what I was talking about earlier, which is you can get assets for the privilege of paying DK Metcalf. That's where they need to be. This roster needs everything. There's not like they're one DK Metcalf away from winning the fucking Super Bowl. They're one DK Metcalf away from winning seven games. So if Drew Locke is your quarterback, DK Metcalf is not a luxury you get to have or you should have because what they have done, they have they have systematically dismantled the talent on the roster over the last five years. And you have to do something to build that back up. And to do that, you have to sacrifice DK Metcalf because if they're actually going to pay him, like if your two options are have DK Metcalf minus 25 million in cap or not have DK Metcalf have potentially two first round picks, a first and a second and 25 million in cap to play with. Like, I, I honestly think that is a better outcome right now. They're not competing for a Super Bowl, right? You're fucking kidding yourself if you think that that is. They're not competing for the playoffs at this point. Seven teams make the playoffs per conference, and the Seahawks are not anywhere near being one of those seven teams. Unless I mean, that's a that's a Drew Locke is their fucking quarterback. Well, let's not even get started on the tackle situation. We've talked about positions of strength of the Seahawks, and you start at safety and end at safety. No, and both of their wide receiver and wide receiver. Yes, you have wide receiver, but nobody to throw them the ball, and you have good safeties who are massively overpaid, and you had to give up so much to get both of them. I mean, Quandre Diggs is fairly paid. One of them can't cover. You didn't have to give up that much to get Quandre Diggs. Let's leave him out of that collectively between the two of them and it, it's not jamal adams fault the seahawks traded so much for him that's that's this is not, John a, Schneider this is not like, i like jamal adams as a player there's nothing personal about jamal adams but he was also way overdrafted and way overpaid for like this it is not having jamal adams on your team is like having a fucking like who's the least winning player in the nba right like a high he's like De'Aaron fox or something that wasn't the name I was coming up with. It was? Uh, it was not. It was oh, not. who was the name you were coming up with? We're, we're just going to let that go. Wow. But, right, it's like okay. having a volume scorer on your team or something. Like, yeah, yeah well, they're an example of a volume scorer. The team gave up way too much to get and hurt their team. I can't think of any this season. I just can't put my finger on one. James Harden? No, that is not who I'm talking about. We're going to move on, but I'm going to make the case for DK Metcalf. Which is in a world where quarterbacks are constantly oh, changing Russell teams. Westbrook? In a world where quarterbacks are constantly changing teams, what do you want to do? You want to set yourself up to be in position to get one of those quarterbacks. I and think- DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and Noah Fant is the strongest argument that the Seahawks can make for one of those quarterbacks going forward. I agree with that. <clears throat> I think the least strong argument that they can make for it is Pete Carroll. 
And well, like, I, I, we've discussed this. I mean, Brady made a convincing case for why Pete Carroll and Sean Schneider might be able to survive a down season. But if they go seven and 10, it might not be Pete Carroll anymore. It might be who the next Nathaniel Hackett, who actually is going to orient his offense around what his quarterback wants to do. What a weird concept in 2022. Oh my God. Don't even get me fucking started on the people who just like dunking on Nathaniel Hackett for orienting our offense around Russell Wilson. It's like, yeah. Of course you're going to do that. Why would you want to not base your offense on the philosophies that worked in college football in 1976? The, but the reality is I do think quarterbacks want to go to teams where there are a lot of good players. And the way that you get a lot of good players is by having a lot of draft picks. And if you could turn DK Metcalf into three top 50 picks or even, and then turn those three top 50 picks into six top 100 picks. Like, again, they need talent everywhere. This is a roster that is devoid of talent. They should be doing every, the minute they traded Russell Wilson, it was a rebuild. Like, Pete Carroll might trick himself into not thinking that that's the case. Not my will. This is a rebuild. And to do a successful rebuild, you need assets to do that. And you have one of the best assets in the NFL on DK Metcalf. And he could be flipped for at least one first-round pick and presumably more than that. But instead, they're going to opt to have Drew Locke throw the fucking ball to DK Metcalf. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if they traded him. It would, certainly would not shock me. You said 20% chance yesterday, didn't you? <laughs> Offline? It's, uh, it, I think I revised it to 10. I, I think 5 to 10, somewhere in that range. It would surprise me, but it wouldn't shock me. This is more from a personal perspective. Also, the reality is I want the team to be really bad because I want Pete Carroll and John Schneider to be fired. <laughs> like I, But if they can say that we had a plan to be bad, it actually might it's, make it's, them it's less likely worse. to get fired. Yeah, it's like, Whereas but, if they are telling Jody Allen, no, it's not a rebuild, and then they go 5-12, and 12, then they, there's a much more it. likely. You know what? Those five games from Drew Locke really matter. Then Pete Carroll gets to fire two more coordinators and just be like, oh my god, endlessly firing coordinators and changing quarterbacks. In this I, case, I was thinking about the Pete's like the system doesn't change, right? The, the philosophy, philosophy doesn't. The change. philosophy doesn't. Change. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's like the I fixed it. It's like and, no, no, that's exactly what we didn't want to hear, Pete Carroll. I I think the reality is Pete Carroll is he's not going to change. And he saw those games. He saw what happened in 2020. The 2020 was what ended Russell Wilson in Seattle. Obviously. I, I so and, confidently. And the that. let Russ cook movement. But like, it wasn't wrong for people to do that. It was wrong for the Seahawks to not let Russ cook. Of course. But the, like, the existence of that mentality and that idea, it helped radicalize Russ and embolden him. And it it made the div- philosophical divide more clear. I mean, I, right I think the philosophical so. divide would have been five years of his of course, I mean, short of course NFL I, life. Who do you think he's talking part to? Of that life on Pete Carroll. Obviously, I agree with this. Has a philosophy that doesn't value what he does as the most important player in the NFL. I mean, one of the, the most important I, position in the NFL at the very One least. of the things I mentioned to you lately is I've been going back to the interview we did with Mike Sean last year. And when he was describing the way that the Seahawks, you know, Russell Wilson's complaints about the Seahawks and this plays into the Hackett comments as well. He was like, I don't get the sense that they respect Russell Wilson's football acumen. And that's ridiculous. No. So can we talk about another 
fucking terrible contract the Seahawks handed out. Yeah, Will Disley? No, we've we've no. already done the Will Disley contract. They said that there was someone who quote knew him very well coming after him. I thought that was pretty strange. That. He's coming back to you, Dub. <laughs> like it was like is Brian Schottenheimer involved somewhere? I believe he got hired as a consultant to the Cowboys, but that was like in the last week. So well after that Will Disley contract. I was handed assuming out. it was the Rams for some reason. Somebody like that. Rams are way too well run to offer that kind of a contract. Yes, yes, they are. So speaking the Rams of players, are not as well run as you think. Please, speaking of players, the, the Rams let go. House of cards for the Rams. The, so their coach, their coach ran the ball how many times in the Super Bowl? Uh, that's fair. They still won the Super Bowl. Uh, they okay. made the Super they, Bowl and they, won the Super Bowl. Their coach lucked into Aaron Donald and Cooper Cup. Their coach lucked well, their into coach Aaron Donald. Didn't, their coach didn't try to use Aaron Donald in a way that Aaron Donald didn't want to be used and that's force safety. him to demand a trade. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wouldn't it really is Pete Carroll's dream. He, he, I, they could have gotten, I, I know that Donald went before their pick, but there, there's a world they could have gotten Aaron Donald, right? Like, I mean, look, he was there for the a team. lot of people could have gotten Aaron Donald. He, it's like, Pete, you could have just fucking, whatever. Just Let's talk about drafted one good defensive lineman his entire life. And there might have been someone in New England. <laughs> Who's the one, though? <laughs> I don't know. I'm giving him Frank Clark. <laughs> yes, Frank Clark was a very good draft pick. Austin Blythe. If so, you look, pa- if you look past the assault, like there's a reason that Frank Clark fell. Yes, in terms of the value of the draft pick, he, he provided more value, sur- ex- surplus value over the course of his rookie contract. Austin Blythe uh, started all 47 games he played for the Rams between 2018 and 2020 at both right guard and center. So then, last offseason. He signs a one-year, $1 million deal with the Chiefs. Didn't appear that he was going to start when he underwent hernia surgery during training camp. Saw 12 offensive snaps all season on this one-year, $1 million deal. Somehow, he parlayed not getting hurt and not played all season into a one-year, $4 million deal for the Seahawks. Which the base salary is non-guaranteed, but the $2.5 million you know, I think the, there's a bonus in there that is guaranteed either way. How, what is the, I mean, I get that, you know, John Schneider talked about Andy Dicker or Carol. One of them talked about Andy Dickerson, who's now the offensive line coach and Shane Waldron one really wanted him in there and valued what he, you know, the experience he brought in that Rams offense. This is another example of, they are just so consumed with getting a specific player instead of getting the best value. Yeah, no, they have no idea. That's then, actually incredible. I didn't know that. I, it's I, like, how do he doesn't play and gets a two and a half million dollar raise? I mean, good for Austin play. Oh, yeah. What yeah. the fuck are the Seahawks doing? That's that's the thing is you just have to respect Will Disley for getting paid. Oh, I mean, great for Will Disley. I mean, the Kerry Hyder contract, I thought was another one. Like after the Seahawks released him, the Rams, the Rams, the Niners signed him to like a one year, $1.5 million deal. Back to the Niners? Yeah. And it's like the Niners played this so perfectly. They signed him for peanuts after he was hurt in Detroit. Got an amazing season out of him. Let the Seahawks sign him for a bunch of money. And now they get it back for nothing. Like, I didn't want to tweet. That's what a professional organization does because the 49ers have handed out some bad contracts in their day. Kyle Juszczyk is their, uh, is their Will Disley. <laughs> but that was a really, really impressive set of work there by the Niners, I got to say. 
We're so bad at this. Not we. You and I have nothing to do with this. Lee <laughs> Carroll's and John Schneider are so bad. Yeah, that's at this. a weird thing when people are like, you know, when they say we about the team, it's just like, yeah, you get to fucking. If this team is we, all of a sudden you sign Austin Blythe oh, to a no. one-year, four-million-dollar oh, no. deal. Dog. I mean, look, people will talk themselves into just about anything if their team does it. I can let me speak from experience here in my Twitter mentions. They will talk themselves into some wild shit if their team believes it. But the the other aspect of it is like people like make fun of like you know Ben will tweet something and people like the Seahawks treated Jamal Adams like yeah he didn't do that. He said it was a bad idea. Oh, oh they it, think that like it's just like dunking on Ben, where it's like, yeah, we hated this the moment it happened. <laughs> Fully probably, agree. Well, there's a little hindsight bias there. We were conflicted about it. I don't know if we the, hated it. It's the complicated point of fandom is that you don't get to decide what the what the team does. You sure don't get it's not a democracy. We didn't get a vote. Yeah. I mean, we talked about that when Russ was traded. Man, it really, really makes you think the the entire concept of fandom. But the reality is, if a team except is really, in now the Sounders, you do get a vote. Those votes are not real. Um, I mean, the team has never been bad, so we've never really found out. Well, also, it's, there's no fucking the whole thing. It's not set up in a. There's no salary cap in soccer. It's. I mean, I don't think the Sounders are just like completely spending their way to victory. They're well managed, clearly. The Sounders are well managed, but like the the reality is when there's a team that you've cheered for your entire life and they're good, it feels really good. It's fun. Yeah. And you get to know the players, and that's the most important piece of it is like you get to know the players and their personality, and it's really fun. And you get to go to the games on Sunday and be with your friends and rally around these players. And it's like this. I don't I like Drew Locke, I think, as a person. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, yeah. First off, Drew Locke might be good. Who knows? Crazy things happen all the time in the NFL. And like kudos to DK for like telling people to lay off Drew Locke. It's not a Drew Locke issue. It's a Pete Carroll and John Schneider issue. Drew Locke is an incredible quarterback, all things considered. Oh, of course. <laughs> He's one of the one of the best quarterbacks in the entire world. Like, I mean, but, yeah, the idea that, you know, we've talked about what is he like 45th in EPA per play over the last three years? I mean, 36, maybe it is. Like, yeah, that's out of every person in humanity. That's yeah. so good. He's ruined a lot less of my days than Jacob Eason has. I guess. Uh, uh, I guess it, maybe there was. There's some college quarterbacks. You you could argue that uh, in this draft class. Well, um, yeah, maybe he's like but, 40th best. Uh, also, I love the idea that people think they can judge a draft class of quarterbacks like that. That to me is the most fucking insane thing that fans are just like. Uh, uh, literally, Whoa. like Todd McShay, like Mel Kiper, like sure. oh, this is a down year of quarterbacks, and then everybody's like down year of quarterbacks. I'm like, I, how do you know this? The way that we judge quarterbacks, like if you actually can cite some like high level predictive stats that say that this is a down year for quarterbacks, I will maybe buy that. But I also would like to see the history of the predictive value of those stats because I do not believe that there is one that exists in the entire world that is successful at doing this thing. So to just carte blanche say this is a down year for quarterbacks, I absolutely do not buy. These quarterbacks might be coming from different places. And they might have slightly different skill sets, I suppose. But I also saw Trevor Lawrence play very badly last year. Like, 
there's nothing necessarily Trevor Lawrence was considered a generational quarterback and maybe he will be, but like our, our confidence window of his like long-term success is a lot closer to Mac Jones than it was a year ago. Right. Any of the quarterbacks like last year was a good quarterback class. And of those quarterbacks, who of them do you feel like going forward? Like, would you say confidently would ever be an all pro? I mean, all pro at quarterback it was Russell Wilson ever an all pro. Like, that's not a good. Measure. How about even pro bowl? Any of those quarterbacks? Can you say you're like, oh, yeah, that guy after one year is going to be a pro bowler? No. Is there a single one? No, probably not. It's just like we don't even know once they get to the NFL and have played for a period of time. Just being a successful NFL quarterback is such an absurdly complicated radius of things that has to happen that any person who feels like they could predict it is they're wrong. They cannot, right? If you could predict who is going to be a successful NFL quarterback, you would be extraordinarily rich at this point because it's not a thing that can happen. And so just going into I mean, this I draft, I think it is more plausible that you could predict off a portfolio of five quarterbacks because the individual variants of all of them would even out to a degree. Uh, what do you mean a portfolio of five quarterbacks? So like a draft class. So like if there's a 40% chance that, you know, no one, none of them has better than a 40% chance of being an NFL starter. Yeah, one of them will probably become an NFL starter. But, but how do you predict the confidence interval of like... But I'm saying the fact that the confidence intervals, like it's unlikely that so far everyone from last year's draft class has been at the bottom bit. And the odds of that happening, I don't think are very high. It, Probably with the exception of Mac Jones. But even then, Mac Jones, you're like, I, I still don't, wouldn't approach it as like, he's definitely going to be a perennial pro bowler. And that's my thing about drafting a quarterback is I think it's much more likely than people give it credit that, that after a year, you'll be like, well, I don't know. Maybe it's like you end up in the Baker situation. We're like, maybe oh, this is the guy in the Zach Wilson situation, right? Like, and I, and I think people think the Josh Rosen situation was like a common thing where teams can just move on from a quarterback after a year. There's not as many examples of that as you think. I mean, I think the best case scenario for the Seahawks is, and I've seen, I think Danny's mock draft has Kayvon Thibodeau falling, falling to them at nine. Like if Thibodeau falls to them at nine, slow clap, like that's the best possible situation that they could have happen is that a star edge rusher from college falls to the ninth pick in the draft and the Seahawks can take him. But beyond that, it's a huge investment to draft a quarterback. Like, moving on from Rosen at the pick, what did they take him, like, 11, 9? I think it was 9 because we looked this up on the, uh, the last spot. They, so they picked Josh Rosen at 9 and then drafted another quarterback a year later. Like, that's a lot of investment that you're putting into quarterback. And I no, will say that that was, Cardinals roster... Is ten the the Cardinals roster? If you you know you take out Josh Rosen or take out Kyler and drop in another player, it looks totally different. But right now, the Cardinals roster doesn't look that great overall, and it's probably because they drafted quarterbacks in two consecutive years. Hmm. This shit's absurdly hard, and that's why you don't trade your superstar quarterback. Great. Anything <sighs> else on the Seahawks? God, it's just they're just. They're wrong and they're bad, but, but they might, they might get lucky, but their process is not good. Yeah. I don't even know what that looks like though. 
<laughs> Russell Wilson falls to the third round. All right, let's go through the rundown, starting with our uh, food update last week. Sadly, we were not able to talk about this at the start of the last week of Lil Woody's Seattle Burger Month. It was the Romesco Burger by Emily Crawford, Dan of Corson Building, uh, which featured smoked paprika spiced beef and pork burger, melty leeks, hazelnut almond romesco sauce, escarole and parsley sauce, mayo on a Lil Woody's bun. Uh, when I described this to our mom, as she was driving me home from the airport on Monday morning and was picking up this, uh, I was picking up this burger at Little Woody's. She was like appalled that anyone would ever eat this, but it was really? pretty delicious. It sounds really good. I mean, I high confidence in the course of building also. Right. Uh, the Romesco sauce. I feel like I've heard a lot about Romesco sauce now that I'm a top chef viewer, but I don't know that I've ever specifically had it, but it was quite delicious. There was a ton of it on my burger. It was very- Do you have the- Oh, a ton of any sauce is good. Just give it all to me. Oh, great. The sauce. It was very messy, but uh, it was delicious. Do you delicious. have the tote? No, because I, I didn't get the stamps in week two or week three. Oh. So we're going to have to talk to Why people. didn't you get the stamps? I told, I told you on the pod that like I okay. went in there for pickup and- they never even mentioned it. And I didn't think of it. You know, it didn't occur to me in the moment. It was only after the fact. But we, we, I have receipts that I had all these burgers. Okay. So. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll send some messages. Our top chef up no, I'm not actually going to. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not using that contact for you to get a tote bag. <laughs> Another burger. Pelncast Burger V2. Where, where's it at then? Yeah. Uh, you're still not watching Top Chef. Yeah, confirm. That's a, you should you should be Lil Woody's watching Top Chef Burger Month. <laughs> Wait, what? The the they should do a month of people who haven't ever been chefs but have watched Top Chef. <laughs> Top Chef Viewer I mean, that, Month. That includes me. So that's if we do another Belgian yes burger, that, yeah. that counts. Lil uh, Woody's watching Top Chef Burger Month. I, in, in episode three, Seattle's Luke Colpin drew Indian as the chefs hosted an Asian-style night market. In a very relatable moment, he said during prep outside that he was, quote, sweating bullets, and this is not my weather because they're in Houston. Uh, I think this was in, like, September that they filmed this. Uh, he made crab and corn samosas with spicy fig and tamarind sauce, which the judges agreed was his best meal yet. That's pretty phenomenal to me. And he was the only one of the three dishes who drew Indian-style food and were cooking it for Padma Lakshmi. Uh, traditionally a recipe for failure on Top Chef to avoid the bottom three. All right. Uh, in episode four, the chefs were teamed up and asked to create dishes that looked identical, but tasted different, uh, inspired by Wiley Dufresne, the, uh, the master of, I can't remember the name, the science-based cooking, but uh, this guy's. he's very good at it. Uh, Luke and Ashley used king oyster and mushrooms and scallops, respectively, as the base of their dishes. And they finished as the runners up in the competition. Luke's first finish in the top set of finalists. So right. catching his stride. Yeah. Four weeks into Top Chef. Let's turn our attention to Seattle sports, starting with the Kraken. Uh, Ron Francis was busy leading up to the trade deadline, making six trades, sending out six players, bringing back two players and eight draft picks. As boldly predicted on this podcast last year, Mark Giordano went to his hometown Toronto Maple Leafs along with Ford Colin Blackwell for second rounders each of the next two years, third rounder in 2024. Ford Kelly Yarncroke went to Calgary for a second rounder, a third rounder in 2023, and a seventh rounder in 24. Defenseman Jeremy Lausanne went to Nashville for a second rounder. 
Forward Marcus Johansson went to Washington for wing Daniel Sprong, who scored three goals in his first three games for the Kraken. Oh, wow. A 2023 fourth rounder and a 2023 sixth rounder. Uh, Sprong really more productive than he was with Washington, where he had eight goals and six assists this season. Forward Mason Appleton went to Winnipeg for a fourth rounder. And to help fill out the roster, the Kraken also acquired center Victor Rask from Minnesota for future considerations, signed him to their AHL affiliate. All these moves left the Kraken with 12 picks in 2022, 13 in 2023, and nine in 2024, including four second round picks this year, three in 2023. So the Kraken certainly understand the concept of surplus value through the draft. There we go. Finally, somebody does. I mean, Uh, they're an expansion team. Come on. Yes. Basically what it was is easy to be smart when you're an expansion team. True. I mean, they're in like the, the thunder stage of the rebuild still. Uh, but surprisingly, after all these trades, have won three of five since the deadline, including the biggest margin in franchise history Monday and a 6-1 win at the Kings. I watched the uh, much of the second and third periods of this one since there wasn't much NBA action late. Uh, and there was a lot of names I didn't know, but the Kraken looked great. Uh, have dropped to third in the lottery standings with 48 points behind Montreal with 47, Arizona with 45 might be playing too well you don't want to be that close yes the update we've talked about is it's sounding more likely that uh 2021 number two pick maddie Beniers might join the crack in this season after his michigan season concludes which won't be a for a little bit here because after winning the big 10 tournament the wolverines were the uh top seed in the 16 team ncaa men's hockey tournament they won twice last weekend with a goal and assist from Beniers to reach the frozen four there we go. April 7th. I knew we were going to get Frozen 9th. 4 mentioned. Got to get an April uh, Frozen 4 reference in here. All right, Sounders, since we last talked, got a 1-1 draw in the second leg of their CONCACAF Champions League quarterfinal matchup at Leon to come up with a 4-1 aggregate win in advance to the semifinals. They really sat back and sapped up a ton of pressure from Leon in that road leg before breaking through with a Freddie, when Freddie Montero converted a penalty in first half stoppage time, taking the wind out of Leon's sails. Sounders managed to hold the clean sheet across both legs until stoppage time in the second half when Leon finally found the net after attempting 26 shots in Thursday's match, eight of them on goal. It's the second time in franchise history the Sounders have advanced to the CONCACAF Champions League semifinals, having done so previously in 2012-13. And there will be an MLS squad in the finals of the CONCACAF Champions League because they'll face NYCFC in the semifinals. After NYCFC escaped a pretty wild second leg versus Comunicación, as it streamed a little at the end of this, they lost 4-2 in their road leg but still advanced via the away goal tiebreaker after winning the opening leg 3-1 in New Jersey. Uh, matches between the Sounders and NYCFC, the host April 6th, and then travel to Harrison, New Jersey, April 13th. Uh, NYCFC gets to host the second match by virtue of Leon managing to draw Thursday's game with the late goal, which was the Sounders' second draw in four games. NYCFC has won three times to the Sounders, too, even though they have a worse goal differential so far. The Sounders then completed their road trip uh, a week ago Sunday at Austin FC, where they scored the opening goal through Will Bruin just before halftime, but couldn't make it stand up for a win. Despite Stephen Cleveland, a really impressive performance replacing Stephen Fry in net due to a quadriceps injury, team said was not serious. 
Uh, Cleveland, impressive stopping uh, a barrage of shots as they were outshot 21-14, including another eight shots on goals. But they did concede in the 70th minute to uh, Sounders nemesis Diego Fagundes for a 1-1 draw, uh, bringing them to 1-2-1 so far in MLS play. Uh, after last weekend's international break, Sanders will visit Minnesota, the Loons, on Saturday in a rematch of the 2020 Western Conference Final. And we'll see how they handle that match with the CONCACAF Champions League at game at home looming four days later. OL Reign, season underway, 2022 NWSL Challenge Cup since we last podcasted. They started out their uh, first game at Lumen Field as full-time tenants. Uh, Sofia Huerta scored the opening goal for the rain, but Thorns legend Christine Sinclair answered in the first half. And the two sides settled for a draw, both having precisely eight shots, three of them on goal. Uh, Megan Rapino did not play in that one while Rose Lavelle came on in the 75th minute. Then last Saturday, they got their first win of 2022, taking down Hello. expansion side Angel City FC 3-1 with all three goals and three assists by different players, including one assist for Lavelle, who got the start in that one. Win puts the rain in first place in the Challenge Cup West Division, ahead of the, the uh, Thorns, as those teams prepare for a showdown in Portland on Saturday. Thorns also got a win over the other expansion team in the West, San Diego Wave FC. So uh, the result between the, the rain and the Thorns could go a long ways in determining who wins the division, and even a draw would help the rain's chances of advancing as the top-ranked runner-up. And I saw from the first match a little bit of footage from this game. It seemed like there were plenty of good seats still available for this one. Yeah, and the attendance was around 7,000 for that one. All right, that's not bad. Yeah. I feel like we need to make sure to be packing out these games. I would have been there if for I sure. could have been, if it weren't for fucking children's baseball. Like, I, I would have been at that match. Which I think and is the only sport you're following at this point, correct? Children's baseball, yes. There's a lot, so many baseball games. The last two to three minutes of that Clippers Jazz game earlier, uh, but I'm I'm so excited. I mean, it's more than a Sounders match at this point to go see all rain uh, at Lumen Fields, and it it feels to me like something really cool is building there. And seeing that fan base, it's the most fun place to be in. Where it, it's a small crew at this point, but everybody is in on it, and I think that's kind of the fun piece. Where it's just like this is our thing, right? There's not, there's not the packed crowd. It's not this massive audience that is before, but it's like, this is our it's, thing. It's no. here. It's in Seattle. What it is, is it's not your mom talking about how upset she is about the Russell Wilson trade. Oh yeah. Like yeah, mom no, doesn't have, have a no, lot. It's not your fucking aunt and uncle on the wait list for Seahawks tickets. You know what I mean? We're just like, oh, you didn't give a shit for three decades, but all of a sudden the Seahawks won the Super Bowl and you're on the wait list. Cool. Yeah. And for some reason you're off the wait list now, but like, that this is this is about going and really building something in the city of Seattle, and I think that's that's why it's especially exciting, and making sure that all rain are staying here in Seattle. Yeah, and and also being able to rally around having Megan Rapino and Rose Lavelle play here in Seattle. You know, you're seeing some of the most exciting players in the NWSL in Seattle. I think it's pretty pretty exciting right now. All right, quick update on the Storm, who signed veteran Jantel Lavender to a training camp contract. Lavender agreed to a buyout earlier this month with the Indiana Fever, who signed her to a three-year contract for big money last offseason as a free agent in an ill-fated move. Lavender shot a career-low 40% from the field, wasn't likely to improve dramatically at age 33, so the Fever will pay her more than the Storm this season, assuming she makes the team. 
Hoping the storm sees Lavender's depth in the front court behind starters Mercedes Russell and Brianna Stewart and top reserve as he Meg Begore. She can be effective in the post, but her attempts to stretch out her range have yielded low-value shots, long twos, similar to last year's veteran addition from Indiana, Candace Dupree. But uh, unlike Dupree, who got a big deal and started on opening day, Lavender has no guaranteed money in her contract, likely has a better understanding of what her role might be for the Storm. All right. And now we got to talk about UW softball. Oh, God. Things are bad? Oh, no. So we haven't talked since Pac-12 play started. Hold on. Hold on. What's we that? haven't done this in a while. You ready for it? Kraken! There it is. There it's, it is. It's been a while, but let me just tell you, everything's been bad. It's no, things haven't changed. Like we've kind of forgotten about it. Yeah. But it's not like anything is. The Sounders the have made this run in the Concacaf Champions League. Podcast live, April twenty second. Good times, bad bar. First time since it, since two thousand nineteen. No way we get another wave of COVID right before. Oh, oh, don't even speak that into existence. Bar is back over one. It's bad. Uh, dropped two out of three. <laughs> Podcast live, April twenty second. Mass mandate is gone. <laughs> <laughs> we may have our own mass mandate for that show. Oh, I was thinking religion. whether we should do it like vaxxed or negative tests. And I was like, if you're coming to podcast live, you're vaxxed. I, I, it, your confidence interval is 100%. Wow. Yeah. That, that confident. Yeah. That's... Now, if, if you know that podcast live exists, you've been vaxxed. Special guest, John Stockton. <laughs> uh, <laughs> up softball dropped two of three in a troubling opening weekend of Pac-12 play at Cal. Gabby Plain started the lone win, uh, a 4-2 win on Friday, but uh, Pat Moore actually got the win in that game with three innings of scoreless relief. On Saturday, Moore took the loss in relief as the Huskies four, fell 4-3. Kelly Lynch started both Saturday and Sunday. Again, the reliever got the decision on Sunday as the Bears touched up Plain in relief for four runs in three innings, thanks to six walks. And then things didn't get any better at home last weekend against number three UCLA. Huskies were swept. Two of the three losses did come by just one run, 3-2 on Friday and 5-4 on Sunday. Both games started by playing. Bruins got to her early both times, scoring all three runs in the opening inning on Friday and two in the first on Sunday before coming back from a 3-2 deficit against the team's relievers. In between, UW lost 4-0 on Saturday, making this a five-game losing streak, the team's longest since back-to-back sweeps against Oregon and UCLA in 2018. Huskies dropped to number 14 in the rankings, and even that feels pretty generous. Uh, but uh, this weekend, we've got a matchup of two teams trying to bounce back from atypically poor starts who are still ranked despite struggling in Pac-12 play. Arizona 0-6 in Pac-12 play, having been swept by both UCLA and Arizona State by a combined, wait for it, 43-2 to two score line. They did They're not score. Still? They're still ranked. That's how good no. the Pac-12 is. There's, they did not score a run at UCLA, have five shutouts in their six games after going 19-4 and four in non-conference play. They're number 24 in the oh country. Oh, God. All right. <laughs> April 22nd. Good times. Bad bar. So we'll see if the UW softball can get off the schneid. Uh, quick UW men's basketball update. Starting center Nate Roberts announced his plans to turn pro after four years at UW rather than utilize up to two years of remaining eligibility. Oh, yeah. Uh, developed into a dominate rebounder last season, pulling down 18% of available boards. Did still struggle with his efficiency in large part because of 44% free throw shooting. Also shot just 50% from the field despite copious dunks. 
Uh, Huskies also had, saw a backup guard, Dominic Penn, who played sparingly last season I after joining the team mid-season. The son of Scooney Penn. The, uh, Wait, really? The college star, yeah. Oh. Uh, he also announced his plans to uh, transfer. Uh, and so it's been so long since we've done this podcast. We haven't done our final USF update as we say goodbye to Don Golden and the Dons. Oh. After they played a thriller late Thursday night in Indianapolis, losing 92-87 in overtime to number seven seed Murray State. Uh, Don's played without center Yawen Misalski, a.k.a. Big Squirrel, due to a knee injury he suffered in the West Coast Conference Tournament. Fifth-year senior point guard Jamari Bouyes played all 45 minutes, scored 32 points in his final game at USF. And also the final game, predictably for Dodd Golden, who a day after the game was announced the new head coach of Florida replacing Mike White. So none of the Pac-12 jobs opened up. None of the West Coast jobs pretty much, period. But oh, uh, it worked out pretty well. He Arizona State job. Florida's no, like... I mean, I, I mean, maybe he could have. I don't know. I guess. I mean, yes, Florida is a step up from Arizona State or UW. He got a better like, job, that's an than awesome job any of the Pac-12 jobs except for maybe Arizona and UCLA. That's that's pretty wild. So he got a job better better than I mean, look, the amount of money you can make if you have one good season in college basketball. Again, I don't know if I mentioned this to you in college sports. The pit of money is endless. It's one good season. For, I, I believe that Todd Golden is probably a good coach, but like the best season the program has had since 1998. Todd, Todd Golden, it, it's just, I, some, co- it's all random. Some coaches can take the su- success from a small program and be able to transfer it to someplace like Florida. Some coaches can't. I think he's going to be working with a much better infrastructure than he would at a place like Arizona State, though. For sure. Yeah. I mean, but also competition presumably will be harder as well. Yes. Yes, it will. All right. Lastly, you know, it was fun watching Todd Golden. Though. Oh, when he a- got, when he got hired at Florida, it's like, wow, we know more about Todd Golden than almost anybody. Except <laughs> I, had for- I had forgotten that he worked as an assistant at St. Mary's. So I was covering at that point, the tournament in Portland, the first two rounds in Portland of the men's tournament. And uh, Randy Bennett, was asked about this at his press conference. So. Does he have any experience in the state of Florida? No, I don't think so. Oh, God. I I don't know. I, I'm just going to boldly predict. I don't know if it's going to work. I mean, I don't know if Billy Donovan had any Florida-specific experience when he was hired there. Billy Donovan's like... But he was on the East Coast. A phenomenal... Like, Billy Donovan's... Oh, yeah. I'm not saying he's going to be Billy Donovan. I'm just saying... Billy Donovan's like one of the 10 best coaches of the last decade. I'm just saying, like, you know, to, to name, uh, I don't know that you necessarily need experience in the region to be successful. You just need to be able to expand your recruiting recruiting region outside of where you were previous. <laughs> All the way up to Niagara. <laughs> um. I mean, maybe if you get some Toronto kids, it would work out. Oh, they've got good players there, though. They do. Uh, Kalen DeBoer's first spring practice, UW football, will start Wednesday, culminating with the spring preview set for April 30th. Uh, DeBoer met the media on Monday, reiterated that the top three quarterbacks transfer Michael Penix Jr., Sam Heward, and Dylan Morris will split snaps equally and move across the first and second teams to start practice as they figure out just what they have in their quarterbacks. Uh, some other news updates. Linebacker Edifuan Yulafoshio, this unfortunate news, suffered an injury during winter conditioning that will sideline him not only all of spring ball, but into the season. 
in the regular season. Uh, running back positions to be down on depth during spring camp with uh, Cameron Davis, Richard Newton, and Mecca Megua all unavailable. Sam Adams, the second limited, which should open the door for a lot of action for New Mexico transfer Aaron Dumas, as well as redshirt freshman Caleb Berry and JV on Sunday, the latter of whom played a little last season. Uh, no word yet on the eligibility position for Jackson Kirkland, who is enrolled at UW for now after withdrawing his name from the NFL draft. Would be a big one to bring back. For sure. Uh, I had no idea Sam Adams was still on the roster. Yeah. yeah I mean, he hasn't played a ton thus far. I, he uh, didn't play at all career. last year, did he? I don't, I, you know, I, I don't specifically remember him playing. I feel like we remember. I, I remember the JV on Sunday carries. I like, do remember, yes, those. But they happen, those happened like right in front of us. Like, so he could have played in the Arkansas State game, and I would not be aware of it. <laughs> I guess that's true. That, uh, uh the, yeah. the previous, previous time I was in Spokane before the last weekend. You know, it's interesting to see, like, the top three quarterbacks. This is a more wide-open quarterback battle than we've seen at UW in basically three, forever. Two years? No, with three quarterbacks competing for it, though. You don't think there were three quarterbacks in the competition in 2020? That Dylan Morris one? Yeah. Well... I mean, I forget who the other quarterbacks were. There was the guy who transferred from Sac State. Kevin Thompson, I want to say, was his name. Yeah, I think that was Kevin Thompson. Uh, Sam Adams did not see any game action during the 2021 season. There was, But there were some other people that eventually Shout out to Sam Adams for sticking it out. Hey, he's been through some shit. I mean, it's only been two years, but yes. Uh, yes, he has. But it's definitely a wide-open competition, and I think it'll be a really fun one to watch and how everybody's playing. You know, Spring practice is, I, I think we should be careful not to take too much from it. But if somebody emerges and it looks like they're going to be the starter, like Michael Penix is not transferring. I would be really surprised if Dylan Morris, if he, Dylan Morris doesn't win the job, if he's on the roster next year. Uh, Ethan Garbers and Jacob Sermon were the others who were involved in that battle during 2020 fall camp. How about this? It's a, there's seem like there's three good quarterbacks who are competing for the job. I mean, we, we were probably pretty optimistic about people in 2020 as well, but yes, I mean, Michael Penix has been effective as a division one quarterback as well. Like, yeah. Yeah. He had a good 2020 season. That's PAC 12 North winner. Dylan Morris to you. Thank you. (laughs) And Sam Heward is, Related to some successful quarterbacks, very promising. Yeah, coming out of high school, participated in Pac-12 games. <laughs> so, no, I, I, I confidently believe in Kalen DeBoer, though, with these quarterbacks. I, yeah, I certainly have a lot more confidence in Kalen DeBoer at this point. So, uh, again, most importantly than anything, April twenty second. Good times, bad bar, the heart of Lower Queen Anne. Belton Cast Live is going to have everything. There'll be no Kraken curse there because the Kraken are not playing that day. Uh, but don't forget, we've got a. I, I, I'm so excited for this. I can't even wait. An NFL draft preview with Mike Sean Dugar of The Athletic. We've got Talking Taco Time Live with Chris and Randy. We've got special guests. We've got Come Hungry. Prizes, bingo, possibly the famous cousin Katie. We'll watch the R. 
Tickets are on sale now. Kevin will be posting the link in the in the show notes. He'll be tweeting it. It'll be everywhere. We will see you there. On that note. Thanks for listening. Thanks. So you've been to Disneyland before. You kind of like knew what you were going into here. Yes, I have been a couple of times as an adult. So the last time that we went to Disneyland as kids was probably, you were like four, I think. I don't so think I went. Jan was like mad at me for not remembering it. I was like, if I was four, I was younger than any of my children are right now. And I guarantee you at least one of those fuckers ain't going to remember this. Oh, of course. But, but you don't think you, you, you distrust us that you were there? I feel fine. <laughs> You think we just left you at home by yourself? Well, I can tell you that I think Disneyland probably looked very different then than it does I, now. I mean, it probably looked somewhat different when I, I went in 2002 because mom entered me and I won a trip to go to the Mariner's Angels series the last weekend of the series season, which was the first year. That year it was like, oh, novel. Oh, the Mariners aren't going to the playoffs. Huh, that's weird. That's a new thing. We've completely forgot Mariners hot takes. I was wondering if you were going to do those. We'll come, we've got to talk to Disneyland Solo. So, you know, I thought I didn't understand how to approach it. And so we talked to Katie, who'd like went to Disneyland semi recently. But, but I, had, I had also gone in 2016 or so with our mom and our aunt. So that's that when like, they had the like paper fast pass tickets, though. Yes. So that was a big difference from the previous time I had gone pre pandemic, obviously. But I had a, a I like, the geography, I could, you could put me in there. I could mostly find my way around. Oh, I still, after being there for other days, than, could not other find than the Star Wars, land. well, I, I have a much more intuitive sense of direction. Oh, I, I had no idea. I pulled up the app and I was just like, thank God this app shows you where you are and points you. It's basically like Google Maps, you know, it'll show you where you are and where you're going. I needed that badly, but it's definitely all based around like getting the, the new Fast Pass is now the Genie Plus app and it's $20 a day per person and it's, it's really the just genie like, plus app it's the disneyland app with the, the genie plus the, the disneyland app with the genie plus upgrade or whatever you would call it sure but that's sort of like for the big ticket rides i feel like you kind of just need to do genie plus to genie plus right i agree yeah it's the way that's... to do it and being I... able to book something like so katie had been there semi-recently and I feel like she had a better grasp of like how to approach it. Katie also has a, a, a mindset of needing to complete everything that I do not have. Um, but like getting into the more complicated things seems to require both the like genie plus, but then also being willing to pay for rides on top of that. And I think, Part of what like our cousin or Katie's husband, Ben, wanted to do was like obviously going into the new Star Wars area. They have two new rides in Star Wars. So there's the Star Tours, which is the old school Star Wars ride, which you like yourself. It sort of jerks you around quite a bit. But it's the only like dynamic ride, except for now. I don't know if the uh, the the second Star Wars land one is dynamic where it gives you a different different outcome each time. I don't think it's too dynamic. Okay. Like, I, I, the, so you're talking about the smugglers run? Yes. Yeah, in the Star Wars area. So they sort of have like the really important Star Wars ride, the Rise of the Resistance ride. And then they have the less important Star Wars ride, the smugglers one ride, which you get into like a little friggin' thing and there's six rows of seats, three rows of seats, six total seats. 
and you try to line up and shoot at people or whatever. You go up and down and then shoot at people. It is fine, right? I think it's interesting how I was kind of noting this after that, like when they build big areas, obviously the California Adventure, which we didn't spend a ton of time in because it was closing at five each day. We couldn't get in until one. So we spent, I mean, I spent all told, I guess you didn't go there without me either, right? No. Okay, so we spent all told like, an hour and a half in California Adventure. It was a which, little more than that, but we we also spent part of it hanging out and drinking. So yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> which shouts to having alcohol to California Adventure. Yes, uh, but it's like it's interesting how they'll like do the like one really big important ride, and then they'll do like some other stuff around it. You know, they'll sort of like fill it in. It's not just. And I think in the past it seems like like they did like Indiana Jones, and it's just like one Indiana Jones ride or one Star Wars ride. Now they want to sort of like build an experience where you're going into an area and you can kind of like do multiple different things. I mean, I think that was always the case. The Indiana Jones ride complemented the jungle tour in Adventureland. They felt like they were sort of like along the same sort of like... Yeah. Uh, but I think the thing that stood out to me, which first off, the, like my two favorite rides are the ones that you had to pay for outside of the Genie Plus app. If you wanted to not wait in line, like the lines would be 60 to 90 minutes to do Rise of the Resistance and the Cars ride. And lo and behold, those were the best rides. (laughs) Like it really wasn't even close how good those are versus everything else. I feel like weirdly, like Rise of the Resistance, like I would do it once. And to me, the best part of it, like I thought the ride was cool. It sort of like swooshes you around. You're going around, you see Kylo Ren and shit. Like you're, you're like kind of going around sort of the like Death Star type world shootout. But the best part to me was you go at the very beginning and you go into like a little shuttle thing. You pop out and you feel like you haven't moved at all. And all of a sudden you emerge and there's all these stormtroopers lined up. And it's like, oh shit, we're in Star Wars. That's like, that was like the most like, oh fuck moment. I felt like the whole ride. Yeah, I mean, it actually would have been more fun to uh, spend more time probably looking around there, but they're they're marching you know into line for the actual like ride part of it. And I think it's kind of cool where like, like you know that the people working there are not going to be like mean to you, but they're a little stern, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like I I think it's kind of nice that they're kind of like in character and getting everybody through, um, and then doing the cars ride in California Adventure. I'm just like, this is going to be fucking stupid. The whole time, I was like, we paid $12 per person for this ride to like skip the, you know, 60 to 90 minute line or whatever. And I was like, this is going to be dumb. I'm going through it. It's like a kid's ride. You're going through. Have you ever seen Cars? The movie? Yeah. Uh, I've seen bits and pieces of it when your children, 10 to 15 children have had it on. You might have seen the like uh, Meters Tall Tales. I don't know if you've ever seen the actual The actual movie? Yeah, Yeah. I guess maybe not. But you're like going through it and it's like you're lightning in the lightning McQueen. It's like Luigi's there cheering you on or whatever. You're like, you see Doc cuts and you're like, okay, I, this, it feel it's like, this is the same as the fucking like Winnie the Pooh ride. You know what I mean? You're like slowly going through this area. And I was like, why is this a fun ride until you get to the end? Like you go through the whole fucking radiator Springs cars thing. You get to the end and they're like, now it's time to race. And then another car pops up next to you, which there are yep. people in, in it, in my family. It was like me and me and Matteo, I think. I can't remember which child I was with. They're all the same. <laughs> Some Italian name. Me and Matteo were in one car. And then Keely and Luca and Marco, were, they just popped up in the car next to us out of nowhere and were racing each other 
pretty quickly through and it's like wow i feel like i'm in a race in radiator springs and it doesn't last for long but like that that not knowing that that was coming and then having that happen was like oh damn this is actually extraordinarily fun there you go so we discovered that baby fantasy genius loves roller coasters which is very different from you as you said did not like to be jerked about i do think there's a difference between like disney style roller coasters and sure like they're very mild yeah disney roller coasters it's sort of like family friendly style for sure but i also thought it in in the end i thought those two were really good i actually thought splash mountain which they're changing i i thought the riding around the water in splash mountain was pretty fun and like doing the drops in the water was was a pretty fun thing to do we miss doing the Matterhorn bobsleds Matterhorn. It's Matterhorn. The Matterhorn bubble sleds, as they're called. Uh, Miss doing that. And that was, it was like the only thing that we didn't do where I was like, I think I would have liked to have done that. You didn't do Space Mountain. I like Yeah. Space how Mountain. is Space Mountain? It's cool. It's, it's up there with my favorites. Did you, did you do Indiana Jones? Yeah. Okay. Was with everybody. With me? I'm pretty sure. He... I don't even remember. <laughs> It was a really rough trip for you. I, there's so many children. That's, that is true. Uh, it, it was definitely, it was like, okay, they spent, they spent money on this ride. Like, this is a cool ride. And, but you do the Star Wars Rise of the Resistance, and you're like, this is sort of like the fully realized version I mean, of Indiana Jones. Yeah, Indiana Jones debuted in, what, the late 80s, early 90s? Yeah. Things have but advanced since then. I, I think it's also, like, it was kind of a bummer for me not to do the California Adventure stuff. And I know people are really excited about the Spider-Man ride there and ended up not being able to do it. But uh, it's interesting how they've like transformed the Tower of Terror is now Guardians of the Galaxy themed. Um, and it really made you think like, okay, like Disney is, a, it's an IP company and they really like the Marvel and the Star Wars IPs. Like it is, that's the big thing right now for them. Yeah. Uh, and so prominently placed throughout the two, the two theme, spark, theme parks. But all told, I have to say I went in. I told Jan that I hated Disneyland on the first day. Um, but I think I was just hot and frustrated. In the end, I was like, you know what? I think I would go back to Disneyland. There you go. Well, we're going to have to wait for me to build up some more comp tickets before we <laughs> head back. But uh, we, The Jungle Cruise, too. I'm just like, you fucking love the Jungle Cruise. I do. You love puns. Obviously. You can't help yourself. They, uh, I, it is pretty. I, I love it was pretty weird. I just, again, I had no idea what to expect for anything. Like I guess, when I go back, yeah, I, guess... I want to do the rides that I didn't know about. I thought we were literally just going to be like going around seeing some like fun stuff in the jungle area. I had no idea it would be so dark. <laughs> it's like darker than the Haunted Mansion, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess so I've gone enough times as an adult that like I know what all the rides are other than obviously the Star Wars rides were new. Have you done the Motorhorn before? I have done the Matterhorn. <laughs> I, I definitely did it. I think I may have done it a couple times because the last time we went, so it was again just mom, our aunt, and I, the three of us, and we went three different days. So like oh I didn't God. go very much the first day because of the fact that I was going to a Lakers preseason game back then, and we had like we went the day we flew down because I was getting everyone in on my my own pass. Yeah. So like it didn't we could we could go whenever basically at that point you could go any day on your pass is that true there were some blackout dates 
there are some you didn't have to make specific reservations beforehand at that point uh and so like definitely we rode like we rode the star tours probably 10 times oh my god so that's why the like the fact that it's got a different possible outcomes became so important whereas you know rocky thunder railroad i enjoy but you're getting the same ride every time the, the, Rocky the Thunder Ather- Railroad. You said it wrong too. And what is it actually? Thunder Mountain Railroad. Thunder Mountain Railroad. According to me, Thunder Road Mountain oh, Railroad. <laughs> big Thunder. Big Thunder. Mountain big Railroad. Thunder Railroad. Big Thunder Road Mountain <laughs> Railroad. I I see. I didn't do that either. I don't even know. Lucas freaking freaking out about it. It was. It's enjoyable. It's up there. It's it's mom's favorite. So anyways, I rode the, what I'm telling you is even though we did not get there at 8 a.m. then for rope drop, uh, or I guess it's earlier for actual rope drop. 7.30 a.m. I, I rode the rides a lot of times at that point. The thing so. that I can't, I like, I don't think I would, like, I guess I would do the Star Wars, the Rise of the Resistance again, but like, I think I'd be kind of bored. I don't think, I mean, I think you would focus on different stuff or pay attention to different stuff. Yeah, that could be like, like we did Autopia a second time and it was like Autotopia as I call it. Uh, but I was like, by the second time I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah. I just need to be constantly stimulated by new things. <laughs> so we'll hit Space Mountain and the Matterhorn next time. There you go. And all of, I mean, I saw none of California Adventure basically. So, yeah, I actually think we we could cry in a California adventure. Leave some meat on that bone. I yeah. I was disappointed I didn't get to eat. They were doing the uh, the California Food and Wine Festival. Taste there. of Anaheim. No. <laughs> I actually think Anaheim had pretty good food. Yeah, we ate well. Although it was like uh, I ate three meals there, and two of them were in and out. Yeah, we ate well. <laughs> <sighs> oh Lord. All right. Well, have fun editing this podcast. It's going to take forever. All right. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.